Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, Undying Light listeners. This is your host, Pastor Alex. We're back at it once again with another new episode. And as this one airs, it'll be about a month out from me recording it. And so this is the first Tuesday in September. And it's the second Tuesday in August right now as I record this. And uh, we've got, you know, a whole plethora of topics to continue covering on the Tuesday show. I've talked about those pretty extensively on Friday's episodes, but uh, if you don't listen to the Friday shows, we're going to work through the sacrament series, and then we're going to turn and do a series on the differences between the Lutheran faith and the Reformed faith, and then we will uh, continue on maybe addressing some of the Lutheran topics that might be maybe a little bit more complex for some people, and we'll try to break them down and help hopefully help you to understand them. And that's on Tuesdays. I, I envision this to be going through the end of the year. And then maybe after that is over, we'll just kind of move everything back to Friday's shows. I haven't really decided ultimately yet. So that's that. We are knee deep in the book of Concord. Again, we're going to look at Luther's uh, large catechism and we're going to work through the rest of the statements that Luther gives. We will not address each one of them. Uh, as we still have about 40 of them left. And so uh, we're going to start at, uh, uh, looks like statement 30. And uh, we will work through some of these uh, these comments. And then we will uh, address a few of my highlighted notes that I have. And we'll talk a little bit more about it. So one of the biggest things that Luther has stressed so far in the large catechism is the physical presence of the body of Christ in and under and with the bread and wine. And he doesn't try to get philosophical in his explanation. He doesn't try to create some sort of logical explanation for it. He simply just says, this is this. This is what the text tells me. This is what I believe. And and I, before we really get into this, I kind of want to maybe set a little bit of a precursor. 
some people uh, have messaged me. We've had great conversations, and and uh, and I think I want to address some of the questions they were they were asking me. And they they say, well, how can this text in Matthew twenty six be different than the I am statements in uh, in John? And it's a great question because you see Jesus making you know some some bold statements. I am the door, uh, and is one of them. And we know that Jesus isn't literally a door. We know they didn't have hinges on it. You don't open and close it. Uh, so in that, Jesus is given sort of a a symbolic teaching in that moment that, that through him, only through him can people access the Father. When it's the Passover meal and it's the Lord's Supper and Jesus stands up and he uh, he's physically holding bread and then he's physically holding wine, and he gives this address that this is my body, this is my blood. So in this time, he's holding up physical objects and asserting what these will now do when the words from Christ are paired with the bread and wine. And so uh, that is, I hope, just a very simple view of it, but we will probably do spend a little more time on that in the future. But I do want to just, you know, I want to address that because it's always a common question uh, that people present, and and the biggest difference again is Jesus isn't literally holding up a door. He's not literally holding up a gate. He's not, you know, literally he's not holding up water or anything like that. But in the uh, Passover meal, he is giving uh, the the bread and wine. And here's another big difference too. Notice when in John it's I am yada yada yada, right? So it's it's there's a couple things to under to unpack with that. We're not going to get into it, but we could look and see the I am being a throwback to Exodus chapter three, verse 14, when God tells Moses uh, that he, I, I am who I am. We know that Jesus makes that same statement in John. And then he goes on to say that I am this, I am that. And so Christ is representing these things that he's talking to you about. But then in the Lord's Supper, he doesn't say, I am the bread and wine. He says, he holds up the bread and wine and says, this here, this bread is my body given for you for the forgiveness of sins. So uh, just a little bit of a pretext on that. I just, you know, like I said, I had a lot of people question that. And uh, and I hope that, you know, very basic explanation helps you to kind of be a little bit more comfortable in your understanding. But again, uh, people... Um, you know, come to the table with their own presuppositional and they come to the table with what they've been taught and they, uh, have, you know, not, and, and, and this isn't a, like, um, an attack on them, but they haven't studied the material for themselves. They just take with a grain of salt, what they've been taught and assume it's right and assume that everybody believes in this. And I've noticed that a lot on social media that there's kind of a general, uh, consensus of thought surrounding certain things. And, you know, not every Christian believes in those things. And so in the Lord's Supper is one of those. Uh, we, you know, there's many difference, differences in uh, the Protestant movement. And then we would have to look at the Eastern Orthodox. And then we look at the Roman Catholics. And we know that there are significant differences between those three major parties. Uh, and then within the Protestant movement, there's significant differences. And so it's... You know, it's it's a topic that I think people try to, to shy away from because it, it's it's uncomfortable, right? To to think 
when you go and partake in the Lord's Supper, that you will be partaking in the body and blood of Christ. You are participating in the in the glorious feast that Christ has prepared for you. And 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 while that may not be the uncomfortable aspect, the uncomfortable aspect is the words used in the words of institution that this is my body. And and I've yet to hear a church in my experience, and there might be some out there that that change that from you know the bread represents right. They they might. Uh, I wouldn't put it past churches, but I have yet to come across one that does that. And so they they will believe that it that the is means represents, but they will actually say the words is me you know during during the institution. So, um, we we come to these topics and they're not easy for us to digest because we don't want to you know, we don't want to give credit where credit is due. It seems like is man for mankind. And, and I think what we also stumble at is we want to try and make these a work. And we, we say the sacraments are works by man uh, because we don't, we can't possibly believe that Christ uh, can do what he says he does in the sacraments. And that is provide forgiveness of uh, sins and salvation and eternal life. And so uh, it's interesting when we get to these topics um, because in the same breath, a lot of these people who who shy away from the sacrament discussions will be the first to proclaim that they believe that the skies will shatter open and Jesus will return and all people at, all, at, at that moment will see him and Jesus will raise him from the dead. And they also believe in the virgin birth, which is, you know, not logical. They believe uh, in his perfect life lived under the law without transgressing the law. They believe that uh, Jesus took on sin, became sin, as Paul writes, dies on the cross, put into a grave, rises from the grave, and ascends to heaven. All things not logical to happen in this lifetime, but they, you know, this is what Jesus did. And so why can't we say that he's bodily present in the bread and wine? I know it seems to get a lot of people angry, too, when you, when you make those comments. But anyways... So I think I might have said it earlier in the show that we were at like question 30 or something, but we're actually at 48. Uh, and I, I had to actually pause my recording and go back and look at my notes from last week to make sure I was on the right one. But uh, I don't want to repeat myself. So uh, we got statement 48 again. As I said, we're not going to read uh, the rest because we still have 30 plus to read, but we'll read a majority of these. Uh, it's in quotations. It says, although the Pope afterward perverted it and turned it back into a Jewish Jewish feast, Thus, you will see that we are not granted liberty to despise the sacrament when a person with nothing to hinder him lets a long period of time elapse without ever desiring the sacrament. I call it despising it. If you want such liberty, you may just as well take the further liberty not to be a Christian. Then you need not believe or pray, for one is just as much Christ's commandment as the other. But if you wish to be a Christian, then you must, from time to time, satisfy and obey this commandment. For this commandment should never move you to examine your inner life and reflect. See the sort of Christian I am. If I were one, I would surely have at least a little longing to do what the Lord has commanded me to do. Indeed, since we show such an, an aversion towards the sacrament, men can easily sense what sort of Christians we are under the palpacy when we attend the sacrament merely from compulsion and fear of man's uh, commandments without joy and love 
and even without regard of Christ's commandments. So kind of summarize here, you know, these, these few points, but I also want to kind of backtrack um, what Luther's really been saying through this. So he's very adamant about Christ being bodily present, but he's also very adamant about partaking in this meal often. And so we talked a bit about it last week where, you know, Luther is driving this home that for people that he is ministering to, he administers the sacrament daily. That's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, so on and so forth. He gives it to him daily. And that's unheard of in the church today. You don't have churches administering the sacraments daily. And in many cases, outside of some denominations in the Protestant faith, you do not have them even administering, you know, more than once a month or once a quarter. And I find that to be a tragedy. And so I, you know, I know a lot of Eastern Orthodox go every week and that's fantastic for that. And one of the things I'm pushing in my church is to at least get it to where we are going every other week. Um, and, and I think that would be a good trade off. We, what we did last year was follow the school year and then we took the summer off and, uh, cause you know, people are on vacations and the numbers are a little bit lower. And so, but I don't want to use that as an excuse to re you know, retract the supper from somebody. Cause when we had it on uh, the first and third Sunday, the great, the great beauty of it was that we had people who couldn't make it to the first, but made it to the third and, and vice versa. So Luther's very adamant about it pertaining, partaking in, in it every day or as often as possible. And he says that if you, uh, sustain from taking, if you, if you put it off for a long period of time, it'd just be better that you don't even call yourself a Christian. And he says that because this is a commandment and it is uh, equally as much of a commandment as say we are to be prayerful Christians, then we should be partaking in this. And if we decide not to, then probably we shouldn't be Christians. And, and I, I would stand by that statement. If we, you know, prolong taking the Lord's supper for a long period of time, you know, I'm not going to say like you miss a month or two or a couple months. I'm talking, you know, north of a year or more, and you have not partaken in the Lord's Supper, uh, that's time to question, do you truly have faith? Uh, so let's continue on here. Let's go down to statement uh, 60, and I've got one here highlighted at 64, so we'll talk a little bit about that. Luther says, no one will make such progress that he does not retain many common inf uh, fir infirmities in his flesh and blood. People with such misgivings must learn that it is the highest wisdom to realize that the sacrament does not depend upon our worthiness. We are not baptized because we are worthy and holy, nor do we come to confession pure and without sin. On the contrary, we come as poor, miserable men precisely because we are unworthy. The only exception is the person who desires no grace and absolution and has no intentions to amend his life. He who earnestly desires grace and consolation should compel himself to go and allow no one to deter him, saying, I would really like to be worthy, but I am not on account of my worthiness of mine, but on the account of thy word, because thou hast commanded it, and I want to be thy disciple, no matter how insignificant my worthiness. This is difficult, for we always have this obstacle and hindrance to contend with that we concentrate more on ourselves than on the words that precede Christ's lips. 
Nature would like to act in a way that we may rest and firmly rest firmly upon itself. Otherwise, it refuses to take step. Let this suffice for the final point. In the second place, a promise is attached to the commandment, as he had heard above, which we should not, uh, which should most powerfully draw and impel us. Here stand the gracious and loving words. This is my body, given for you. This is my blood, poured out for you, for the forgiveness of sins. These words I have said are not preached to wood or stone, but to you and me. Otherwise, Christ might just as well have kept quiet and not instituted a sacrament. Ponder them and include yourself personally in the quote-unquote you, so that he may not speak to you in vain. In this sacrament, he offers all of the treasure he brought from heaven for us, in which he graciously invites us to other places, as he says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy burdened, and I will refresh you. Surely, it is a sin and a shame when we tenderly and faithfully summons and exhorts us to, high, to our highest and greatest good. We act as, dis, as distantly toward it, uh, neglecting so long that we grow quite cold and callous and lose all desire and love for it. We must never regard the sacrament as a harmful thing from which we should flee, but as a pure, wholesome, soothing medicine which aids to the quickness uh, which aids and quickens us in both in soul and body. For where the soul is headed, the body is a benef- is also benefited. Why? Why then do we act as if the sacrament were a poison which would kill us if we ate of it? Of course, it is true that those who despise the sacrament and lead unchristian lives receive it in their receive it to their harm and damnation too much uh, to such people nothing can be good or wholesome just as when a sick person willfully eats and drinks that is forbidden by his physician in statement 70 but for those who feel weakness and who are anxious to be rid of their desire uh, help should regard this and use the sacrament as a precious antidote against the poison in their systems. For here in the sacrament you receive Christ's lips and the forgiveness of sins, which contains and conveys God's grace and spirit with all of his gifts, protection, defense, and power against death and the devil and all the evils. So what's Luther saying here in these previous statements, right? Um, It is beneficial for us to partake in this often and and again that's just echoing what i just said a little bit ago we are to partake in this often but also there is it it it, it supersedes us it's something that uh when we partake in the lord's supper it has no dependency upon our ability to uphold the law it has no oper- it has no no holding on whether or not we are worthy or pure, or uh, sinless. In fact, the supper begs you to come to the table as a sinner because you will receive the forgiveness of sins. And you should be you should be acknowledged of that sin because there's a difference between the Christian and the world. 
The Christian sees and recognizes their sin. The world does not. They have been turned over to their debased minds. Statement 74. In such a case, Christ pronounces the judgment. If you are pure and upright, you would have no need of me, and I have no need of you. Therefore, they alone are unworthy who neither feel nor uh, feel their inflammatories, infirmities or nor admit to being sinners. Just what I said. Suppose you say, what shall I do if I cannot feel this need or experience hunger and thirst for the sacrament? Answer, for persons in such a state of mind that they cannot feel it, I know no better advice than to suggest that they put their hands to their bosom and ask whether they are flesh and blood. If you find that you are, then you are then for your own good, turn to St. Paul's epistles to the Galatians and hear what the fruits of the flesh are. The works for the flesh are plain, adultery, immortality, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, selfishness, dissension, party, spirit, envy, murder, drunkenness, carousing, and the like. If you cannot feel the need, therefore, at least believe the scriptures. They will not lie to you, and they will know your flesh better than you yourself do. Yes, and St. Paul concludes in Romans seven eighteen, For I know that nothing good dwells within me, that is, in my flesh. If St. Paul can speak of his flesh, let us not pretend to be the better or more holy. But the fact that we are insensitive to our sin is all the worse. For it is a sign that ours is a luscious flesh and feels nothing through the disease, uh, though the disease rages and rankles. So we'll jump down to statement 83 here uh, and we'll wrap out the last bits of this confession here. Try this, therefore, and practice it well. Just examine yourself, look around a little, cling to the scriptures. If even that you feel nothing, you have you have all the more need to lament both to God and to your brother. Take others' advice and seek their prayers and never give up the stone uh, until the stone is removed from your heart. Then your need will become apparent and you will perceive that you have sunk twice as low as any other poor sinner and are in much need of the sacrament to combat your misery. This misery, unfortunately, you do not see. Though God grants his grace that you may become more sensitive to it and more hungry for the sacrament. This happens especially because the devil so consistently besieges you and lies in wait to trap and destroy you, soul and body, so that you cannot be safe from him for one hour. How quickly can you be bring, your, bring you into misery and distress when you least expect it? Let us serve as an exhortation then, not only for us who are grown and advanced in years, but also for the, for the young people who ought to be brought up in the Christian doctrine and a right understanding of it. With such training, we may easily instill the Ten Commandments, the Creed, and the Lord's Prayer into the young, and so that they may receive them with joy and earnestness, practice them from their youth, and become accustomed to it. For, there, for it is clearly useless to try and change old people. You cannot perpetuate the, those, uh, these and other teachings unless we train people who come after us and succeed us in office and work. 
so that they in turn may bring up their children successfully. This, uh, thus the word of God in the Christian church will be preserved. Therefore, let any, let every head of the household remember that it is his duty by God's injunction and command to teach and have, uh, and have been taught his children the things they ought to know since they are baptized and received into the Christian church. They shall also enjoy this fellowship of the sacrament so that they serve us and be useful for they must all help us to believe, to love, to pray and to fight the devil. So that is the um, Lord, the Lord's supper on Luther's um, large catechism. And following this is kind of a subcategory here. Luther goes into a brief exhortation to confession as he has been commenting in the above statement. So we won't get into that. That's uh, looks like 35 statements that Luther makes. And you can go again and read Luther's large catechism in the book of Concord online for free. So you can uh, certainly divvy up that. But one of the things, this common theme that continues to echo in all of Luther's writings and early Lutheran theologians and in modern Lutherans even still hold to this is the fact that the bodily presence of Christ in the bread and wine. And as I made note uh, last weekend and a little bit today is the, the desire to partake in such a meal more frequently than not. And so that is, those are two big distinguishing factors for the Lutheran, uh, when it comes to comparing us to other uh, Protestant denominations, because in the Protestant movement, there's going to be some high views of the sacraments and some low views of the sacraments. And there are some uh, in like the reform Presbyterian movements that hold to a very high uh, view of the sacraments. They would be more of your confessional, reformed folk out there and and then you're going to have some who are you know would probably be more of a baptist or modern non-denominational and they would think that the sacraments don't quite hold the weight and it's interesting because i i've seen good arguments from every party on on this topic they're they're just all over the board um you know, with, with these views, but the, the arguments and the evidence they supply is, is quite remarkable. And they, they, you know, have early church father quotes. They've got scripture that they pull and they tie these and weave this and, and explain that. And I, and I think that's great if we are to go to the, to the extent and say, we are to, believe in X, Y, and Z, then we should have our proof for it. And one of the things for me is I had a very low view of the, uh, of, of the sacraments uh, a long while back. And in that low view, I just, I just assumed that they, they don't do anything because that's kind of what I was, what I was taught. And so, you know, what really kind of 
um, what, what really kind of gets to me is the, you know, is the lack of desire from some people, not all, but just some, who don't want to go out and learn. They don't want to teach themselves. They don't want to pick up, uh, you know, a book and study or books and study because the you know my my sources are numerous when it comes to this particular series, and it's it's a challenge because they they just basically take everything they're taught in their denominational view, um, and and they just believe it. They don't question or challenge it. And I was that way, you know. I when I became a Calvinist, I really wrestled with baptism, and I really wrestled with the Lord's Supper. And those were quickly barriers that broke down uh, upon reading Luther and his uh, approach to Scripture. And so one of the biggest differences from Lutherans to the Reformed folk is our hermeneutical approach. And I've said that a number of times on this show. We read Scripture very differently than the rest of you know, the Protestant denominations, even those who hold the sacraments to a high view. Uh, they we 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 read scripture in a manner of law gospel, and so it's kind of funny that I saw this post go up the other day, and, and I just want to kind of talk about it because it really was interesting. And it was a quote from John MacArthur, and it was an uh, I think it was like a Q and A, and it was a question around like how long should a sermon be, and John says as long as it takes to explain the entirety of the text, and and I got to think, I'm like okay, so. If I have a 40, 40 verse passage, we're going to be here for, for a long time if I'm explaining all that. And this is the big difference between expository preaching and law gospel preaching. Expository preaching is going to take that and expound it. They're going to dig into the meat. They're going to present everything. They're going to talk about it through through this passage, verse by verse, what is happening. And some passages, you know, you can group a few verses together or you, you know, you could read one and, and know what it says without having to explain it. But by and large, they're going to explain every verse, every word, and, and they're going to present it to you in the form of teaching. And I want you to pay attention to this. If you're not a Lutheran and, and you, and you still listen to this show, I, I commend you and I, and I'm so appreciative of you, but I want you to pay attention to the next time you hear a sermon, is this sermon teaching me about this passage or am I being preached to. There's a very significant difference because in the Lutheran view, we look at law gospel. So we'll take that same 40 verse passage and we'll say, okay, where's the law coming from in this passage? Is Jesus saying or doing something? Because if we preach the liturgical calendar, it's going to be a gospel as our message uh, all year long. And so we'll always have a gospel, uh, whether it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Right now we're in year C and we're looking at the gospel of Luke. And so whatever Luke records, if it's a long passage or a short passage, we look and see, okay, what's the law saying? What's this passage doing to me? You know, is this something that's relevant to my church or is this something that we can tie to another passage that would be relevant to my church? And then we, we hammer on the law. We, we, we draw the attention to the fact that you and sitting in the pew are not capable of living up to this standard. And then we turn and give you the gospel and forgive you of your sins and give you the assurance of your forgiveness and address the fact that you can't do it. And that is okay. And so there's a very significant difference and that's really kind of a crude way of addressing law gospel. But 
it really is one of those manners that, you know, I, I repeat myself every week like a broken record that your sins are forgiven because, again, people go out from the church and they forget it. And, and it's that same message is for those who are dealing with addiction. It's for those who are dealing with depression, anxiety, uh, jealousy, rage, all of that. You always have sin in your life that you're fighting, and the gospel brings you the peace that that you should be reminded of frequently that Christ forgives you. So pay attention when you hear a sermon. Is this teaching me about the passage, or am I giving? Am I being given the gospel? Because if you don't hear the gospel in a preaching message, there, you know, it, it doesn't have any effect on you. It's it's not going to give you faith. You need to hear the gospel, and so. Uh, I want, and, and I want to kind of maybe address that a little bit closer to when I said that it doesn't give you faith. Paul writes, you get faith by hearing God's word preached. And, and I, and I, you know, would, would say too, if you're reading the Bible, you go to a Bible study, you're going to have faith given to you in some capacity, but you, you will be, you will walk away from being preached at much differently than you will walking away from being taught at. So a little long-winded ending for the show, but what's wrapper for the day? And we will uh, probably do a Q&A session next week or, or the week after. We'll kind of play it by ear and see what we're doing. And then we will continue with the last few episodes in the Lord's Supper. And then we will move on to our next topic. So thanks for tuning in, guys. Have a great week. God bless. We will see you later. sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusion Supply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.